Welcome to yet another episode of the Dark Corner Podcast here on darkcornerpodcast.com. I am your host, DJ Evil Dave, once again flying solo. We did try to record together, Brandy and I, yesterday, but GarageBand was having issues, particularly with the sound input and there was no playback volume. There are just problems all around. As you can tell, I fixed those problems. The trick was to create a new track, and that seemed to reset all the parameters so that it was picking up more volume through the microphone, and I could actually hear through headphones again in playback. So with that bit of uh, behind the curtains, if you want to be gross, peek behind the kimono, as some podcasters put it. Uh, that's just been the issue. So it's Sunday. It's Brandy's rest day. So I'm allowing her to, well, not really allowing, but it's a day of rest for her. And it's rare that we do anything too extraneous other than, you know, watch TV and eat. And she's playing video games and just relaxing because everybody needs a day of rest which I suppose we'll get into later because we're going back to our series on the Zodiac since it is February. There's like one too many R's in there, isn't there? February. We're going to talk about, well, I'm going to talk about Aquarius. But first, a little news and reviews. have some actual gothic-related news, strangely. One of the killers of Sophie Lancaster had his minimum sentence reduced, so that now he's available for parole in 2022. Long-time listeners who are familiar with the Inside Outcast days will know that we covered the murder of Sophie Lancaster some time ago. It is a notable hate crime against members of the Gothic community. Sophie and her friend at the time were passing through through a park in Lancashire and were assaulted by some thugs who were commenting on their Gothic style of dress. Words were exchanged and then these thugs surrounded and started to beat on them. Sophie... Uh, laid down to protect her friend's head, and in so doing, took the brunt of the assault, which included stomps to the head, to the point where she was unrecognizable in the hospital, wherein she eventually died. It was a brutal hate crime, one in which one of the investigating officers, if I have this correct, left the force shortly thereafter because the parents of one of the killers 
were kind of laughing along with their kid at the event. Just callous, hateful, and unnecessarily brutally violent. So it's odd that some judge would see one of the killers as being greatly improved, especially according to the article I read. This same murderer had assaulted a psychiatric nurse, but perhaps there is some rehabilitation. It's hard to tell, but unlikely. I suppose it's encouraging to hope that people can change their ways and perpetrators of violent crime can see the error of their ways and improve. Even so, I would hope that this tragic event would haunt this killer and stain his karma forever. And <laughs> also bad news, there is a tour with Ministry, KMFDM, and Frontline Assembly taking place right now, and it has been revealed that the current guitarist for Ministry, Sin Quirin, has a history of targeting underaged women for, I suppose you'd call it sexual assault. He's been grooming women and young women, well, girls, let's be honest, and even visiting their homes and their high schools and starting sexual relationships with girls of 15 to 16 years of age. This occurred back when Sin was in an industrial metal band called Society One. During a concert in which some young girls came to see the headliner, not Society One, in fact they missed Society One who were opening for the band, but there were uh, these X's placed on underage girls. Imagine to suggest to whoever is selling concessions not to allow them to buy beer. But I could also see it as an indicator that, yeah, these are underage girls, uh, hands off. But it seemed like Sin is, or was, drawn to these young women and started a relationship with one of them. Later, he was dating a member of the Lords of Acid, who once found out about his predilection for underage girls, broke off the relationship immediately, and kind of struggled to uh, trust in relationships from then on, you know, having been lied to. However, the rub really comes in with KMFDM, who is touring with Ministry. Al Jorgensen claims to have been unfamiliar with these allegations when he hired Sin, but there hasn't been any word yet as to whether they're going to fire him or not. And Lucia Cifarelli who is one of my favorite, well, was, I suppose, female vocalists, very talented. I can still respect the talent. And both one of the KMFDM albums and Lucia's solo album from the Land of Volcanoes were on my list of 100 favorite albums. She victim-blamed. She said that it was folly of these girls' parents and the girls themselves to put themselves in a situation wherein some rock and roller could prey upon them. That's a really outmoded idea and falls into the whole boys will be boys mentality when it comes to sexual abuse. It's 2020. We, in this Me Too and Time's Up era, should be more aware of the nature of consent 
and age of consent and that a girl of 15 or 16 years old doesn't quite have the mental development or emotional development to decide for herself sexual relationships, especially with older persons, particularly older persons who may prey upon or groom someone for sexual purposes. So I'm a bit bitter right now towards KMFDM and Lucia in particular. I think it's rather backwards, especially for a band that, and I'm not the only KMFDM fan that has responded to it like this, but we expect more of them. KMFDM is known as being a rather progressive, politically speaking, band, who in Bush's, you know, Bush W., his era, were very anti-Bush, very much into democracy and liberalism and that sort of thing, how they could fall into the old patterns of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, which, yeah, back in the day, people would overlook band members targeting underage girls for sex, but we've moved on since then, and it's time others do. I mean, it's the same with Harvey Weinstein. Back in the day, producers would seduce young actresses to the casting couch, and that was just part of the deal. It was wrong then, it's wrong now. We just identify it these days. We don't look the other way. We don't play stum. So even if I had the opportunity to attend this concert, I doubt I would because I don't want any money going to either ministry or KMFDM if they're going to support a sexual predator. As for Frontline Assembly, I haven't heard any press release regarding this at all. I think they're third listed, so they're like the opening opening act. But yeah, I haven't heard anything from Frontline. We were another favorite band of mine. Something about Sin Quirin is that he joined ministry after I stopped collecting their music, which was, I think, post Filth Pig, which was okay. And Psalm 69 had some mainstream. And of course, Mind is a terrible thing to taste, is really a breakthrough album. But yeah, Sin came in after I really regarded myself as a diehard ministry fan. They've kind of slumped, in my opinion, since then. I haven't been as interested in their music. But it's a sad state of affairs, and we as fans expect more of musicians, especially if their subjects tend to be more progressive. And while on this string of kind of ugly news in the gothic and industrial community, I want to talk about the Cruel Worlds Festival for Los Angeles. There's some really great bands that are slated to perform, and I'm going to bring up the list of them here, going basically from back to front. We have The Church, Violent Femmes, The Psychedelic Furs, Echo and the Bunnymen, Devo, Blondie, Bauhaus, but then the main headliner is where, you know, insert record scratch, Morrissey. Morrissey has shown himself to be like a Brexiter, a racist, and just, I mean, it was bad enough when he was really super upfront about the whole vegetarian vegan thing. I mean, granted, a lot of people are vegetarian or vegan, but there was a kind of evangelical 
method to his promotion of his own dietary beliefs. But paired with that, his whole Brexit thing and his whole innate racism thing, he's really a despicable guy. And being the front, you know, the headliner for Crow World Festival, a lot of the money for ticket sales are going to him. So it's kind of makes it difficult to want to go if you're in Los Angeles. I've already seen some of my L.A. friends going, yeah, if you're buying tickets, your money's basically going to Morrissey, so, you know, maybe don't go. Even though the other acts are pretty dang strong. I mean, granted, Peter Murphy has his own kind of issues. There's some anger management there. There's possibly some substance abuse, maybe. But yeah, that's uh, an odd bit of news I have regarding the gothic community. I suppose I could get a little bit into reviews now. We've been watching Lock and Key. It's spooky, based of course on the comic book series by Joe Hill, also known as Joe King, the son of Stephen King. A rather twist and turny story of a creepy old house and a set of keys with supernatural powers. Very mysterious, very intriguing, but features a kid that is really messed up. (laughs) And not in your ordinary horror movie fashion, but one that makes really poor choices for somebody in a horror film. Brandy surprised me with tickets to a live showing of Mystery Science Theater. It's a tour for the very last bit with Joel Hodgson in the role, complete with puppets. Crow was there, Tom Servo was there, Gypsy was there. I knew she got tickets, but I didn't know where we were sitting. We had second row seats. In fact, I had nobody in front of me until a lovely young lady in a wheelchair took this spot before me. And being second row was kind of nice because we didn't really have to crane our necks at all. Because first row, we'd be kind of looking up in people's nostrils. But second row in the orchestra, mind you, I mean, where the orchestra pit normally would be, we were seated. So we were right there. In fact, during intermission, we kind of interacted with some of the cast members. And it was a really good time. They were riffing on No Retreat, No Surrender, a weird mix between karate and kung fu movie, and a ripoff of The Karate Kid. The jokes came fast and furious, hard and heavy, on a rate that it was really hard to laugh at them all, because as soon as you were done laughing with one came another. It was really a great time and one of the best concert-style events I've been to, you know, that kind of show. And we also learned that, I believe it's through Shout Factory, that there's a streaming channel that's all Mystery Science Theater all the time. So you just click it on and watch whatever's currently playing. Uh, Just recently they did Manos the Hands of Fate again, so check that out as well. Oh yeah, and I got myself a ball cap and Brandy got a hoodie. We saw Birds of Prey, and I very much enjoyed it. I know how Suicide Squad had some reshoots and stuff after Deadpool and Guardians of the Galaxy did so well that they tried to emulate the success of those two films. And of course, since that wasn't in the original designs for Suicide Squad, the results left much to be desired, I suppose, in a lot of people's opinions. It's possibly one of the worser of the DC movies from a lot of people's opinions. Birds of Prey, 
is more in the spirit of something like Deadpool. There's a lot of needle drops, so the soundtrack is really cool. It's irreverent, it's bloody and violent, and it has this really cool kind of feminist vibe, as you would expect from something like Birds of Prey. Expect a lot of Harley Quinn. She's in it a lot. Margot Robbie does an excellent job in that role. I can see why she was pretty much the breakout character from Suicide Squad. She's delightful and really carries the film well, though the supporting cast, other than Rosie Perez, that seemed a little as an odd choice, I think. She just didn't seem to gel with the team as much so as the other ladies. Even Huntress, who appears kind of the least amount out of all of them, but really had a breakout part in it as well. I can see a lot of online love for this portrayal of the Huntress by Mary Elizabeth Wainstead. There's a few lines and some slapstick comedy that had me laugh out loud. And I also liked that Harley Quinn commented on her character of what she was designed as by the, you know, in the animated series. That a Harley Quinn is a servant and to exist and to be the most a Harley Quinn can be must have a master. And this film takes place after Harley Quinn and Joker break up. And you can tell Harley Quinn's kind of at her lowest point. She's on her own, trying to find herself in her... Is she only who she is in relation to the Joker, or is she her own person? And this movie explores that, and has a satisfying conclusion, too. You have an arc for the character, and it carries you throughout. So I recommend it. It's a really good time. I know box office hasn't been as good as it could be, and the theater we attended, granted this was probably a week after release, but it was pretty empty, so do see it while you can. It's a good amount of fun, if nothing for but for uh, Margot Robbie's performance, and it has a strong female team behind the camera as well for writing, directing, producing, all that stuff. Alright, with all that, I suppose we could get into the dark track. Enter and Fall are an EBM band out of Germany that was founded in... 2008 by Daniel Diaz-Gonzalez and David Goldomer. These days, it's mostly David Goldomer doing everything. Vocals, music, lyrics, programming, visual concepts, the whole kit and caboodle. They're one of few bands in the EBM scene to quickly rise in the German alternative charts. Yes, this song we're about to play for you is Elf Deutsch for a good portion of the lyrics that is in German with occasional English lyrics in the chorus mainly. Sonically, they remind me a bit of God Module, but we can get into that after I play this song, which is Isolation, the Eternal Afflict remix by Enter and Fall. In my isolation.
Alright, that song comes off the Face the Beat Session 2 compilation with quite a number of other industrial and EBM artists on there. Yeah, by comparing it to God Module, I was mostly referring to its aggressive, full frontal kind of beat that it has, as well as the stabs on synth for kind of more of that driving atmosphere. Vocally, he's very much in the EBM dream pop field, mostly towards dream pop. There's some melody to the vocals to kind of soften it. And reading up on their biography, it seems they're known for having a broad soundscape. Very soft to very hard. So should be quite interesting listen if you pick up any albums. You'll have a nice assortment of different kinds of songs in their style to listen to. So some kind of soft ballady stuff to some hard stompy stomp dance floor feeling kind of songs as well. Nearly two decades ago, Commander Data sacrificed his life. The greatest discovery is also about Star Trek Picard. Jesse Thorne won't let us stay on the network unless we do all the Star Trek series, and so here we are. Doing a show about maybe our favorite Star Trek character of all time. If you're excited to watch the new Star Trek Picard series and you'd like some veteran Star Trek podcasters to watch it along with, we're your guys. Sorry you're stuck with us. The hell are you doing out here, Picard? Saving the galaxy. So subscribe to The Greatest Discovery. You can find it anywhere you find podcasts. Or at MaximumFun.org. All right, I chose... That song, Isolation, because I am talking about Aquarius as our topic for conversation this time around. This is a continuation in our series on the Zodiac. And yes, I know it's very woo, very superstitious stuff, but I, even though I consider myself a thinker, I fall into this kind of Jungian psychology role in which I believe that we ourselves assign meaning to the universe. It's very existential, if you think about it, that if we just take science only, there's something cold and clinical about that that doesn't really speak much towards the human experience. And that's where we find culture, religion, superstition, signs and symbols, things to identify with in order to affix some kind of meaning to the random chaos that surrounds us. And the Zodiac is one of those things, you know, one of those ways of layering meaning upon a seemingly meaningless universe. Aquarius is the 11th astrological sign in the Zodiac. Its symbol is the Watcher Bearer, and the descriptive script of this, the glyph, is two wavy lines atop one another, and often they're kind of sharp. They look like a series of mountains twice that suggests moving water. Indeed, the Aquarius can often be mistaken for a water sign. Aquarians are born in the dates between January 20th to February 18th, sometimes 19th. And while often mistaken for being a water sign, it is indeed an air sign. Air signs are concerned with aspects of the mind. 
being thought, intellect, ideation, that is coming up with ideas, imagination, creativity, mental concepts, you know, conceptualization. And as such, Aquarians can often live in their heads. They're seen as being intellectual, bright, even genius, and they do well academically. Aquarians seek knowledge. They desire learning, understanding. In fact, of the many zodiac signs, Aquarians are often the most understanding of themselves and others. They desire mental stimulation. They like things that challenge their thoughts and beliefs. They want to discover new things, innovation, new concepts. They're also a fixed sign, so once they do formulate an idea, they usually stick to it. And so they can hold very strong opinions and may come to these opinions rather quickly. They might make snap judgments and it can prove difficult to change their minds once they get an idea of who or what you may be. Fixed signs are stable, such as the Taurus and the Leo and Scorpio. While cardinal signs are often the innovators of something, they're, they spark new things. And while mutable signs are subject to change, fixed signs have this stabilizing nature in which they can take an existing thing and go with it. As such, fixed signs are often the reliable signs, the ones that if you present an idea, they'll formulate and execute it. They're doers. If somebody has an idea, say, to go on vacation, the fixed signs, such as an Aquarius, will make the reservations, the travel plans, maybe formulate a list of what to bring, that sort of thing. So a fixed sign is often very organized. So what you have is somebody who's organized and thoughtful with the Aquarius. Traditionally, Aquarius has been ruled by Saturn. Saturn is a beast of a planet to rule your zodiac sign. The other being Capricorn. And in the past, we spoke of Capricorn and how Capricorn deals with personal trauma and their karmic balance in the universe of looking at mistakes and overcoming them and trying to become the best them they possibly can. The same can be said somewhat of Aquarius. As Saturn rules this sign, it is a teacher of hard lessons, a school of hard knocks, if you will. Saturn is uncompromising, and we spoke of this in the past, but Saturn makes its appearance every 30 years or so. And when it does, it brings karmic judgment. It's a time of reflection. Where are you in this great scheme of things? Have you achieved what you set out to do? Are you the person you set out to be? It puts you on these scales and weighs you against your own self-worth. And it can be a hard lesson. And it's not surprising that Aquarians often struggle with depression or bipolar disorder or other concerns in which they may feel a low sense of worth, that they're not quite meeting their own expectations. This is the cruel hand of Saturn in effect. Saturn also is the planet of limitations. It is one of the last planets that 
we can see, well, it is the last planet we can see with the naked eye reliably. After that, things become kind of transcendent. They may or may not be there in the night sky. Saturn, yeah, it's, uh, it's the limit to what we can rely upon. And it rules time and order. Very uncompromising planet. However, Aquarius is also ruled by Uranus, or Uranus if you want a good giggle. Uranus is free. It's chaotic, independent, rebellious. It is that first step beyond what we can know for certain. It is a new horizon. Uranus itself as a planet spins on its side in a rather defiant manner, and so Aquarius can seem at odds with itself. You have the limitations of Saturn, plus this rebellion against those limitations, a way to break free. Uranus is also the planet of separation. It is not uncommon for an Aquarius, you know, to just disappear out of your life for a while. They just cut themselves off and go independent. They go dark. They drop off the grid for a little while, only to show up maybe months later and picking up about where you left off before. Aquarians are unique. They have their own particular style, singular, that they developed. There's nothing traditional about an Aquarian. They've acquired their own taste independently. Nothing really handed down to them. It's all uniquely and authentically their own. And all this are effects of Uranus, the power of Uranus over the sign. They'll have their own look, their own mannerisms, their own style of speech, which set them apart from anyone else. Even other Aquarians, they may mix and match patterns, wearing stripes and checkers, or things you don't think would normally go together, like reds and pinks, but somehow they manage to make it all work. It works to them. It's, it's an expression of their individuality. The myth behind the sign of Aquarius is in the role of Ganymede, son of Tros, the king of Troy, who was spotted by Zeus while Ganymede, as a young boy, was tending to his father's flocks. Zeus was stricken by the boy's unusual beauty and abducted him, taking him to Olympus to serve as cupbearer for the gods. And a sense of service kind of dominates the Aquarians' life. They regard themselves as servants of humanity, which conflicts somewhat with their own desire for independence. They very much want to be their own person with, you know, without being in, under anyone's thumb, but they live to serve. They want to be of use, of value. And this is where in the whole water-bearer aspect comes in. Water is the element of emotion, of feeling, and the water signs of the zodiac all have some kind of water, you know, some emotional thing to it, whether it's Pisces or Cancer or Scorpio. The water bearer also has this deep emotionality, which is often why it gets confused for one of the water signs. And it's through the use of a pot or other conveyance that the Aquarian is able to pour out water, pour out these emotions. 
and fill that well again to pour out even more. And this pouring out of humanity is the role of the Aquarius, and where they have this deep sense of humanity. They're often activists or progressive, liberal in their politics. They seek to improve, to better, not restricted by tradition or really tied down to what seems ideal. They seek peace and betterment of humankind. And so this symbolism behind the water bearer is apt in serving others in an emotional capacity. Aquarians are free thinkers with no great love for tradition. They form their own opinions. They are not borrowed opinions from any books they've read, even though they might read voraciously. Their ideas are their own, formulated through a keen intellect and power of observation. They're very aware, very keen. And you might find that they're quick to discover your secrets. They're detectives, almost. In just casual conversation, you might find yourself opening up to them, almost as if they're some kind of therapist or something, or a priest, and you just confess. Because they make really good listeners, and they don't make judgments, really. They're just there to listen and to understand. While they may have strong opinions, they understand personal freedom. They desire freedom themselves, and they expect that of others, too. So they're not going to put too many constraints on their friends or their lovers. Just the most basic expectations, and that is to be worthy of trust. They hold personal freedom as the highest virtue. Indeed, open relationships, like open romantic relationships, are not uncommon among Aquarians. They don't typically get jealous very easily or possessive. They are no slave to tradition, policy, or protocol. Indeed, in something like a workplace, they don't deal well with regulations or limitations. They prefer room to explore. Aquarians can be withdrawn, even seem cold and calculating, and that is that they're introverted. While they can express themselves to others, they usually do so intellectually and not emotionally. However easy it is for one to confess their feelings to an Aquarius, it's a one-way road, more or less. Unless you really get to know and earn the trust of an Aquarius, they're going to keep their private feelings to themselves. They're gonna, they don't wear their heart on their sleeves. They keep their cards to their chest. They're not going to expose their innermost fears or desires, except to those people they trust the most. And this takes time. It takes time to get to know an Aquarius, because they're afraid of rejection, and as such, they don't form relationships easily. They can be friendly, very friendly, to the point where it might seem that you may regard them as your best friend and someone you're really close to, and then encounter them speaking to a complete stranger almost the same way they do to you, in that they're very open and to hearing what someone has to say and very much interested in what they have to say. But they're not really going to share much of themselves unless you earn that trust. And to do so, you have to be authentic with them. They really distrust any kind of 
impulsiveness, they can appear aggressive. They're quick to act when an opportunity presents itself. They have a keen, sharp mind, one that can practically predict future events. They can follow patterns and predict outcomes. And so they can come off as pushy or abrupt when a window of opportunity presents itself. And the aggressiveness may seem at odds with their usual silence because they can be quite quiet and to themselves. And so it may suggest some wild mood swings. They might struggle with uh, anger issues. But while a Taurus often can express anger physically, the Aquarius is more verbally abusive. And a, an Aquarius that feels pinned down or restricted may act out. Similar to the Taurus, the Aquarius can be uncompromising, even stubborn. They can latch onto ideas, goals, or attitudes, and seem almost single-mindedly devoted to that task. Mental activity is necessary for them to live and to thrive. Without challenger stimulation, they get bored and restless. And so when they latch onto something that interests them, they can seem really single-minded and uninterested in anything other than what they currently hold or obsess over. And so it may prove difficult to dissuade them or impede them from reaching whatever their intended target is, whether a goal or destination, once they've made their mind up. If you want to seduce an Aquarius, if you want to start a romantic relationship with one, you better be interesting, because they're not going to really give you the time of day if they don't find you stimulating to their intellect. Intimacy is a very rare treat that Aquarians allow others. They value their privacy greatly, very much unlike the Leo, which is pretty much the opposite of that. The Leo really puts themselves on full display for everyone to see. The Aquarius, not so much. They value intellectual discourse. They find it attractive. It can be even a turn-on, a really good intellectual conversation. They also demand openness and trust. They want to know your intentions. As long as they know what to expect, they're unlikely to grow jealous or suspicious. Aquarians approach Scorpio in sexiness. There's something magnetic about their personality. There's something about how unique they are, and their intelligence combined with their emotional depth can make them quite attractive. If you are in a relationship with an Aquarius, uh, don't put too many expectations on them. They do struggle in any kind of boundary. So if you set boundaries for them, they'll likely struggle against them and possibly break them and disappear, as they are wont to do. While appearing intellectually superior, Aquarians are often highly sensitive people emotionally, and so they can get hurt easily in personal relationships. If you happen to win their trust, they'll do almost anything for a friend or family member, even to the level of self-sacrifice. But since they often hold very strong opinions and keep themselves distant emotionally, they can be very difficult to get to know or even befriend. So it takes time and patience and a level of 
integrity and intelligence that they can respect to open that window. Once you do form a friendship with Encorias, you may find they may cook for you because they delight in feeding friends and family. They often make excellent cooks. So that may be another way for an Aquarian to show their love or appreciation for you as if they cook you something. Because intimacy comes very difficult for them. In a job setting, they thrive in areas that allow them to exploit their talents with few restrictions or guidelines. So they tend to be visionaries or innovators and they're quick to share their abilities with a trusted team. However, too many rules and regulations may stifle creativity or motivation, and they will not work to the level in which they could. Financially, Aquarians balance money well. They're capable of living comfortably while also contributing to their individual sense of style. Aquarians must look after their heart health. They can suffer clogged arteries or other heart problems. And this often comes from gaining too much weight and having too little exercise. Aquarians can be physically lazy. They're mentally very active, but it's difficult to get an Aquarian to exercise. It's just something that doesn't generally interest them. And so it, it's tough too because you can't really schedule something. Something like a Fitbit, they might find... Um, dominating and just um, not be into it at all. They like to do things on their terms and exercise is one of those things that just seems more invasive or just not fun, not something that interests them. Aquarians are charming and are natural flirts. Even if they're not intending to form a romantic relationship, they might still come off as being quite flirty. They just have that kind of nature when speaking with someone of being a uh, naturally charming. They enjoy travel. Uh, they have a wanderlust and get restless if settled in one particular area for long. They yearn for new horizons and will travel alone for adventure. They're not kind of people to become regulars at any type of establishment like a restaurant or bar. They're gonna dot around and try new things. You know, this new place opens up in town. They're probably gonna be one of the first to go and try it out just to to get that new experience. They're really not into retreading old paths, but forging new ones. They're egalitarian. They treat everyone more or less the same. And this also kind of relates to that problem of maybe thinking they're more of a friend than they could be because they're kind of the same with everyone around them. So it's really hard to tell unless you pick up on the subtle hints of intimacy that you're any closer to them as anyone else they might happen to encounter. They just have this generic love of humanity and treat everyone more or less the same. Very casual and friendly. Because they're ruled by Uranus, they can become unpredictable. It's with the mood swings, but also just suddenly disappearing out of your life for months at a time without any leaving of any notice. So it's uh, hard to rely upon them in that respect. They can be reliable as a listener, as a friend, as a keeper of secrets, but when it comes to expecting them at a certain time, at a certain place, 
may, may or may not show up. As introverts, they desire solitude to recharge their battery. Uh, they'll seek alone time to recharge emotionally. And they're prone to depression. They're curious and often look at the world as a series of puzzles to be solved. And this includes relationships and people. They like finding answers. If something puzzles them, if something has a question mark attached to it, they, they want to know the answer. And they're usually keen enough to find that. So they're drawn to mysteries. And since they're so scientifically minded, they make really good detectives and can pick up on things quite quickly. They're unconventional, uh, defying tradition. They break taboos. They're different. However, they're also insecure and prone to doubt. They fear loss and can often self-sabotage a relationship to end it before the other person does, just for fear of getting hurt. They have an acute sense of humor, are often witty and naturally funny. In conversation, you might find them laughing as they're talking to you because they just delight in the comedic aspects of things good storytellers. However, they're also unlucky and often lose out on opportunities. Fortunately, they're usually content with second or third place, so they don't have to be the first place person all the time. They're not especially competitive. They like to be involved, but they don't necessarily need to be the person in the spotlight. So often they may not get all that they deserve, but they're more or less happy, happy with what they get though it may be difficult for them to express that as they struggle to convey what they truly feel. And often this is, again, for fear of rejection. They don't want to put out what they truly believe for fear that it may be ridiculed or dismissed. They're deeply compassionate and have a calming nature. So often they can be relied upon as peacemakers when there's some kind of conflict within a group. And Aquarius may find the stabilizing thing to, to say or to settle whatever is going on. And they're respectful. They live and let live, allowing others the same personal space and freedom and individual choice that they themselves desire. They're not ones to impose morality or dominate others. In fact, they squirm under any particular heavy regulation or limitation. And they can be nomadic, going back to the wanderlust thing. They're free like a bird and will fly to new destinations when either threatened or uncomfortable or bored. If they get sick of a particular time and place, they may move on and experience new lives and heretofore unexplored horizons. So it's not uncommon for an Aquarius to move from city to city, and once they feel settled, move on to the next one, because it's that constant movement, that desire for new things to explore and understand that will propel an Aquarian throughout life to various new destinations. So expect an Aquarian to be dotting around from city to city, state to state, or even country to country just to satisfy that wanderlust and need for adventure. Okay, here's a list of famous Aquarians. Uh, Abraham Lincoln. This is something some uh, Zodiac experts have brought up, is that 
if the Aquarian can overcome the struggle to express himself or herself or themselves, they can rise to quite a rank in society, and Abraham Lincoln is an example of that. If you can express yourself in a convincing fashion, yeah, you could become president of the United States. Uh, Ferdinand Magellan, Galileo Galilei, talk about visionaries, Thomas Edison, Frederick Douglass, Charles Darwin, definitely some people that uh, rocked the boat with their ideas, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Babe Ruth, Gustav III, John Hancock, Kim Jong-il, Rosa Parks, Charles Lindbergh, Ronald Reagan, Tokugawa Yasu, Michael Jordan, James Joyce, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, Jackie Robinson, Charles Dickens, Douglas MacArthur, Grigory Rasputin, talk about magnetic personalities, Thomas Paine, Wayne Gretzky, Lewis Carroll, Bob Marley, Stonewall Jackson, Aaron Burr, Sir, Vera Fawcett, Hadrian, James Dean, Sharon Tate, Paul Newman, Boris Yeltsin, Hank Aaron, Susan B. Anthony, John McEnroe, Tom Selleck, John Ford, and Alicia Keys for just a few examples. That's about all I have to say about Aquarians at the moment. So it's time for shoutouts, and I'm going to shout out the headcanon with my usual co-host, Dr. Brandy Sexy Voice. That is available now on Apple Podcasts and possibly other podcatchers of your choice. She has two episodes up now and is looking to do a third. I believe she's going to talk about her feelings of On Birds of Prey, if you're interested in that. I certainly am. She did seem to enjoy the movie, as I did. And we'll have some interesting things to say regarding feminism and so on. So look forward to that sometime in the future. And do rate and review and subscribe. You should possibly do that for every podcast you enjoy, even this one, as it helps get the word out. It helps in rankings on iTunes. And, you know, it just also helps let the podcaster know what you think. I know this particular podcast has a couple of one-star reviews. Probably people that disagree with my politics. Just coming in and one-starring. Just to, you know, spite me. Uh, but, you know, uh, rate, rank, review, subscribe according to your conscience. And uh, I guess we'll catch you in maybe two weeks' time for another episode yet to be determined. But so far, that's it for me, your host, DJ Evil Dave. You have been listening to the Dark Corner Podcast with Dave and Brandy Jacola. Find us on darkcornerpodcast.com. Follow me at Dark Corner Cast on Twitter. Brandy is Brandywine12, Brandy with an I. If you want to hear more from Brandy, check out Live from the Edge, either as the podcast on Trek FM or the YouTube channel. We have both a Facebook group and a fan page. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and recommend us to your strange friends, you know the ones. The Dark Track was offered for free as a promotional item or was submitted by the artist or artist representative and no copyright infringement is intended. 
The intro and outro music is Say by Dark Souls Day from the EP X Lives. You can find them on Bandcamp. As always, a special thank you goes to Mr. Tom Elliott for kindly hosting our website. If you have feedback or a topic recommendation, contact us on social media or email us at thedarkcornerpod at gmail.com. This is DJ Evil Dave signing off. Departments of Evil.